for joining this week's podcast with the Archbishop Nicholas Duncan Williams. In this week's revolutionary message, the Archbishop shares how to overcome life's challenges and the struggle between humanity and divinity. Know today that this is God's word of empowerment for you. Be encouraged as you listen. Turn your Bibles with me to Philippians 3 and 12. Philippians 3 and 12. I'm dealing with a subject entitled The Struggle or the Battle Between Your Divinity and Your Humanity. There's a fight. It's an ongoing struggle. It's an ongoing fight between one's divinity and humanity. But thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Hallelujah. That at the end of it and at the final analysis, we shall win. Hallelujah. Tell somebody we won. We won. At the final analysis, we won. And, and that is what matters. It's not how you begin, but it's how you end. Hallelujah. Better is the end of everything than the beginning thereof. Go ahead. Now, sorry, not as though I had already attained. That, that bothered me. That bothered me. Because this guy writing, uh, he wrote all the Pauline Revelation and half of the New Testament. And he's my hero. He's, he's, my, he's one of my heroes. And he had tremendous encounters with Elohim. Powerful and a spiritual man. And when he said, not that I have already obtained or made it yet, arrive, that's what it means, I haven't yet arrived, he bothered me. I said, Paul, you should, you should, you should, you should. You're the man. And Paul said, no, 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 no. Go ahead, see something here. Either we're already perfect. He said, I'm not yet perfect. I'm still working on it. I'm a working, walking, hallelujah. Amen. So, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which also I, I am apprehended. Apprehend. I'm still following after. I'm still working on it. I haven't made it yet. I'm not yet perfected. And you'll never be perfected. You know, somebody went to Idahosa and said to Idahosa, he said, I'm having some struggle with my flesh and I've been praying for years. When is it going to end? And Idahosa said, until you die. It never ends till you die. And you see why this whole thing uh, began and God tried to warn us and said don't do this because in the day that you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you will encounter a knowledge a philosophy an idea that will cause there to be a perpetual and a continued battle a continuous battle between your divinity and your humanity and it will be ongoing till the day you check out so don't try it just lean on me and let me guide you by your spirit you don't need that experience you don't need that knowledge of the tree of good and evil you don't need that knowledge you just depend on me and this was Paul saying he said he said I follow after I haven't yet obtained and I'm not yet made perfect and I said, Paul, after all these encounters with Jesus and all the miracles and the experience of you, spiritual man, struggling with something, Paul, I don't get it. And, and I said, okay, if Paul is dealing with something, after all these years and encounters, then we must understand that there is something going on. And I began to research scriptures and I realized that daily we struggle between our divinity and our humanity our humanity made of our flesh and our soul made out of our intellect that thinks for us our emotion that deals with sensitivities and affection and our wills that make decisions and our human body made out of our five senses the ability to see to hear to smell to taste mm. 
Come with me. Let's begin our journey. Come to Genesis 32, 22 to 32. Genesis 32, 22 to 32. And he rose up that night and took his two wives and his two women servants and his eleven sons and passed over the fort Jabbok. And he took them and sent them over the brook and sent over that he had. And Jacob was left alone and there wrestled a man with him until the breaking of the day. And when he saw that if he prevailed not against him, he touched the hollow of his thigh. And the hollow of Jacob's thigh was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he said, Let me go, for the day breaketh. And he said, I will not let thee go, except thou bless me. And he said unto him, What is thy name? And he said, Jacob. And he said, Thy name shall be called no more Jacob, but Israel. For as a prince hast thou power with God and with man, and have prevailed. And Jacob asked him and said, Tell me, I pray thee, thy name. And he said, Wherefore is it that thou dost ask after my name? And he blessed him there. And Jacob called the name of the place Peniel. For I have seen God face to face, and my life is preserved. And as he passed over Penuel, the sun rose upon him, and he halted upon his thigh. Therefore the children of Israel eat not of the sinew which shrank, which is upon the hollow of the thigh unto this day, because he touched the hollow of Jacob's thigh in the sinew that shrank. Amen. The word, the meaning Jacob, or the word Jacob means a supplanter, a schemer, one that undermines. And if you look at the scriptures carefully, anytime we saw Jacob, you, you saw that particular tendency, you know, of always trying to do it his way, working with his humanity, trying to undermine, trying to find ways and means to outsmart and to outthink and to outweigh others. And his divinity was never allowed uh, to have preeminence over his humanity. The soul and the flesh was always trying to have it his own way. And he did it so for so many years and took his brother's birthright from him and his brother's blessing, two things, his brother's birthright, two food. And one of the problems that Esau had, Esau's sin, Esau's sin was food. <clears throat> and as we go along, you will see that everybody is struggling and dealing with something. Everybody has a particular sin he struggles with and everybody who is not struggling with sin is dealing with a weight. You see as we go ahead in Hebrews 12. And so it's something that bothers somebody and it's something that someone is dealing with that the other person is not dealing with. But everybody is dealing with something. So you cannot judge me based on your areas of strength. That, is, that might be my area of weakness. You might be good in an area where I'm weak in and I might be strong in an area where you are weak at. But we None of us has the right to judge or to condemn anybody whatsoever. And I'll prove it to you as we go ahead and we go along. It's a race that everybody must, must run in their own lane and understand that everybody is dealing with something. And some people, they are seen in self-righteousness and others is pride and others is arrogance and others is ignorance. There's always something somebody is dealing with. And some other sin is sleeping, sleeping just to sleep. Mm, that even if Jesus entered your bedroom with lightnings and thunders, you still sleep. That is how deep your sin in sleeping is. Just sleep. You love to sleep. And we won't touch that today. But there are different types and kinds of sin. Ignorance. Uh, the feeling of ingratitude is a sin. 
an attitude of ingratitude and, and, and indifference, indifference where you don't care about anybody but yourself. And it's one of the sins of Christianity where no matter how blessed God blesses us, we don't care about God and the things of God and the house of God and it's always about us. Other religions are not like that. It's one of the greatest sins of Christianity, the sin of indifference where we stand by and don't care about the perishing. We don't care about the perishing. That is the reason of the genocide of uh, Rwanda, where people and the whole world stood by. They, 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 they saw the dangers coming. The warnings were on the wall, impending dangers, and they would do nothing about the situation in Rwanda. Until 800,000 people were slaughtered, men and women, in cold blood within 90 days. Is the reason why millions of Jews were killed and slaughtered, and the world did nothing, even though it was in their power to do something. And it is a sin when it is in your power to show compassion and to do something to save and to rescue the perishing, and you do nothing. It's another form of a sin. So you can say, I don't drink, I don't smoke, I don't fool around, I don't do this, and I'm okay. But that is your, that is your definition of your righteousness. But as long as God is concerned, he sees things differently than we do. And it doesn't matter how good you might be in fulfilling all the Ten Commandments. Even fulfilling all the Ten Commandments still doesn't make you righteous because Christ is the end of the law. So you can fulfill all the Ten Commandments and you still be a sinner. And the reason why folks are going to go to hell is not because of the sin they committed. It's because they refuse to accept. They refuse to accept Jesus Christ, the Son of God. That's the only reason why somebody will go to hell. And the difference between the believer and the unbeliever is when unbelievers sin, they don't have forgiveness. They only receive forgiveness when they confess Christ. Because they already condemn. He that believeth not is already condemned. So every unbeliever out there is condemned to go to hell. But the believer is not under condemnation. And when the believer sins, he has grace. Which is a provision made available to help you keep, to stay in the race. The Bible says, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. So the solution to sin is grace. And then the Bible says, where sin does abound, grace does more abound. Say, I hear you, somebody. So it's a daily fight and a daily struggle between my humanity and my divinity. Because my humanity wants to win and my divinity wants to win. My soul wants to have the preeminence and my spirit wants to and my body. So it's threefold battle. A battle between my spirit, my soul and my body and it's daily and it continues through the day you die. Being made aware of that is the key that gives you the ability to lord it over. Those two elements and part of you. Somebody say, talk to me and I hear you. So here was Jacob when his brother was hungry and instead of him to just show compassion and love his brother and give him something to eat, he said, you and I fought in the womb before we came and I wanted your birthright. And even when you were coming, I stretched my hands through my mother's womb to touch your heel to give you a, a warning and a notice that I'm taking the birthright and the blessing from you. In the state of unconsciousness, I fought you. And now that I have the opportunity, to engage you through food. I want your birthright if you are going to ask for my food. I'll give you my food, but I want your birthright. It, it, it was a feeling of insensitivity and no compassion that he would take his brother's birthright by food. And that is what we do in the Christian community. There's no compassion. We don't care. We don't love one another. We don't love God, nor the things of God. Anyway, that was Jacob. Left because he took his brother's blessing, came back, Two wives, 11 kids, and two handmaidens. The strategy of the old man 
and his humanity was to send his wife and kids and servants and everybody ahead of him to meet his brother. So that if Esau decided to attack and to kill, he would start killing from his wife and children before it got to him to buy him time to escape. That was the old man. Then he wrestled one night. The Bible said he sent the family away. When he was all alone, a man appeared and said, it is eyeball to eyeball and shoulder to shoulder is you and I today. We, I will wrestle you until the next day and I will break your humanity that your divinity may have preeminence. I will give your divinity superior power over your humanity. And they wrestle all night long. And in the morning, he said to the angel, I need you to bless me because I realize that you are an angel of blessing. You are a special angel designed and assigned with divine capabilities to pronounce blessing. And if you confess blessing is done, I'll be blessed all my life. And the angel said, what is your name? He said, my name is Jacob. He said, that is not your name. That is your humanity. You are not human. You are a prince of God. And I'm going to break you and dislocate you. And limit your humanity. And you start leaping. And you can't depend on your humanity anymore. You start leaning on your divinity. And it is until then you will find out who you were born to be. Hallelujah. Touch him right there. And dislocated him. And said now your name shall be called Israel. That is your original destiny. You were born to be a prince. You were born to rule. You were born to reign. And you were born to walk with kings. And to prevail. And to have power with God, with man. With celestial beings. With divinity. You were born to prevail over angels. And that's why I couldn't overcome you. There were two schools of thought about that. Because angels and spirit cannot prevail in the earth realm. Because they don't have jurisdiction in the earth realm. God gave man power in the earth realm. So spirits cannot prevail here against man unless man yields to give them the power to do so. He couldn't prevail against him. That was Jacob. Anytime you see Jacob in the Bible, you see a schemer, a supplanter, somebody trying to undermine, somebody trying to do his own thing his own way. And he delayed a lot of things until he encountered the angel of the Lord his divinity then took over his humanity. And God limited him in his humanity that his divinity may have an upper hand. Time won't allow me to go deep into that. But as we go along, you'll see some other things. Come with me to Exodus chapter 2, 11 to 15. I want to show you another personality who depended on his humanity <clears throat> and caused him and the people he was raised and born to deliver 30 years more in bondage and in prison. And it is my prayer that none of us here will be held in bondage. Nobody here will be in prison. And the people you were born to deliver will not be held in captivity one more day because you miss it and you depended on your humanity. See, I hear you. A lot of possibilities in life are prolonged when we depend on our humanity. Look at something here. Exodus and it came to pass in those days when Moses was grown, that he, went, that he went out unto his brethren and looked on their beddings. And he spied an Egyptian smiting an Hebrew, one of his brethren. And he looked this way and that way. And when he saw that there was no man, he slew the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. 
And when he went out the second day, behold, two men of the Hebrews strove together. And he said to one, to the one, to the one that did the wrong, Wherefore smitest thou thy fellow? And he said, Who made thee a prince and a judge over us? Intendest thou to kill me as thou killest the Egyptian? And Moses feared and said, Surely this thing is known. Now when Pharaoh heard this thing, he sought to slay Moses. But Moses fled from his, the face of Pharaoh and dwelt in the land of Midian, and he sat down by a well. God had promised Abraham when he was barren, he didn't have kids. And God said, for be sure of this, Abraham, that your descendants will go into captivity for 400 years. And please remember that when God speaks, he means what he says and he says what it means. And he said, they'll be in captivity for 400 years. That means it doesn't matter what your present circumstances looks like. Right now, you will be blessed with kids. And you will have descendants. And he said, they'll be in captivity for 400 years. And God said, after 400 years, I will bring them out of captivity with great substance. And God meant it. Now, they stayed in captivity for 430 years. That 30 years captivity was because of this particular scripture we just read. Moses depended on his humanity than his divinity. And when he tried to do it by his humanity, he killed He killed somebody, depending on his humanity. Somebody died. He used a natural means. And by that, he had to flee and leave time for 40 years. 40 years. And watch this. As long as he was out of Egypt and town, the children of Israel were held in captivity and they had to wail and cry for 30 years. And the helper and the deliverer was not coming forth because God had to encounter him and bring his humanity to allow his divinity to emerge, have the preeminence and supremacy before he could go to Egypt to free them out. And one day, after 40 years, he saw this burning bush. And God caught his attention. You see, in the mix of everything we are dealing with, the distractions and all the challenges, God will always find a way to get your attention. That is all he needs. And you see the scripture here. When God got his attention, he walked there and he said, remove the shoes that you're wearing for you're standing on the holy ground. And then God said, what do you have in your hand? And he said, a rod. And he said, cast it to the ground. And he did. He became a serpent, a snake. And then God said, take the snake by the tail. And Moses said, what? Take the what? The snake by the tail? It don't make sense. I ain't doing that. And God said, that is your humanity. I need you to conquer your humanity that you may have dominion over it and walk in your divinity. You see, you don't take a snake by the tail. It don't make sense because all the snake has to do is to say, okay, you want to fool with me? Uh, pow! With his head and you're gone. Inject you with poison and you die. It don't make sense. And God said that, Moses, the reason why you killed the Egyptian was because you depended on your human capability and reasoning. You were trying to figure it out your own way and yourself. But let me tell you the key. God said, the ruling spirit of Egypt is the snake. That's why if you look at the pictures of the pharaohs and the queens of Egypt, you will see a snake on their crown. That is the ruling power of Egypt. 
And God said, if you are going back to conquer, to bring my people out, it's a supernatural battle. It is not a debate. This battle is not a, a parliamentary debate battle. This is not about law or decrees. This is a spiritual warfare. You got to win this battle in the spirit. And it will take your divinity and not your humanity. So he said, conquer the snake. Conquer what controls and rules Egypt from the wilderness. And when you go to town, everything will submit and bow. Somebody say, I hear you. Until Moses had an encounter with God. Now you see something that will blow your mind. That any time a man had a divine encounter, his divinity had preeminence over his humanity. Until then, our humanity always will struggle and struggle and struggle and struggle under all kinds of battles and governing forces of the powers of the dark kingdom. But when Moses had an encounter, Something changed. There, there, was, there was a shift of power. Power shifted. Somebody say power shifts. Uh -huh. Power shifted from his humanity to his divinity. And he could go back to town. And he wasn't scared. He was wanted. They wanted him to kill him. To hang him. To face a firing squad. But he said, the thing that controls Egypt, I've conquered it. It has no power over me anymore. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. I don't exist anymore. You have no power over me. The greatest thing that everybody fears is death. If you can overcome and conquer your fear of death, you are free. Somebody say, I hear you. And he could go back to Egypt after they are waited for 30 years. I pray that your change, your miracle, and your prophecy will not be prolonged. For one more day, for one more year or month this year. But that God will expedite and accelerate your change if you will just allow your, human, your divinity to rise above your humanity. It doesn't matter what the struggle is because the struggle goes on till you die. It's daily struggle. And I'll show it to you as we go ahead. It's never going to change. Sometimes your divinity has the upper hand and sometimes your humanity wins. Sometimes it's daily. You got to die every day. And sometimes I don't want to die. Come on, look at somebody. And say, I know you don't want to die too. Yeah, sometimes I don't want my flesh to die. I just want to be alive. Hello? I get tired of dying every day. I want to be free. I know you don't want to be free. But sometimes I want to be free. And that was Paul's struggle. Hallelujah. And Moses struggled with that. <clears throat> until he encountered the Lord. See, I hear you. He encountered the penning bush because of time. I'll skip that scripture. It's in Exodus 3, 1 to 5. You can read that later. Amen. But he had to escape that. There was another guy in the Bible that had a divine encounter by the name of Gideon. And Gideon was afraid. And he saw himself as a nobody, one limited, because he depended on his humanity. Then he encountered an angel of the Lord while he sat under a tree. And the angel encountered him and said, Hey, you might look at yourself as a nobody in the natural, but you have the capability and you are up to it and you are capable of dealing with the Midianites and bringing deliverance to your people if you depend on your humanity, your divinity and not your humanity. When he encountered the angel of the Lord, something shifted. And I pray that this year all of us, by divine encounters, 
power will shift this year. And it doesn't matter what you struggle with, that your divinity will arise over your humanity. Say, I hear you. That your dominion will be established this year. That you will command dominion and you will walk in dominion no matter what the struggle is. Tell somebody the battle is still on. The battle is still on. It's ongoing. Okay? That is Judges chapter 6 from 11. You can read that when you go home. But I want us to get to something quickly because of time. Genesis 2 verse 9 and the 17th verse. Genesis 2, the 9th verse and the 17th verse. And out of the ground made the Lord God to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight mm -hmm. and good for food. Mm -hmm. The tree of life also in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Mm -hmm. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, mm -hmm. thou shalt not eat of it. Mm -hmm. for, it, it for in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. So get it, get it. He said, and of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil... You shall not eat of it. He didn't say don't eat apple. It wasn't an apple like we are made to believe. This wasn't a fruit. This wasn't an apple. This was knowledge. This was a philosophy. This knowledge he's talking about is a thought. It's a knowledge and a revelation that is in contradiction to God's knowledge of who you and I are. Ah, so God said, in the day that you eat of this knowledge, in the day that you encounter this knowledge or experience this knowledge, it will make you independent of me. It will separate your spirit from your soul and this is what you will become. It, this particular knowledge of the tree of good and evil will cause you to have Self-awareness, self-dependence and reliance, independence of God, that you won't need God. You won't need your spirit. The soul can exist without the spirit. The soul can exist without God. And God said, in the day you eat of this knowledge, you see, it's not every knowledge you eat of. People bring me books to read, like the, the six and seven books of Moses. And I say, how dare you? And I just understand where they are coming from. They think I need to have knowledge of some other things. I know the knowledge I need. And it's not every knowledge I want. Because there is a knowledge that tries to exalt itself above the knowledge of God. And the Bible calls it anything that exalted itself above the knowledge of God. So it's not every knowledge that I want to be exposed to. Somebody brought me a book of the 47 or 48 powers of you know, power or something. I said, I don't need all this nonsense. Somebody read it. It was written by one of these mafia gurus or godfathers. And I said, I don't need that kind of a knowledge. I know where to encounter knowledge. It's not everything I read. I don't need that kind of a knowledge. And God said, if you encounter this knowledge, you'll be separated from me. You become self-reliant, self-dependent. You become made of yourself. You won't need me anymore. And so I don't want you to touch it. This battle between your humanity and your divinity, that was where it began from. And it's going to go on until the day we check out of this body. Somebody came to see me after the service, a very, very prominent guy in this country, and he walked up to me and said, he said, Archbishop, I thank you. He said, he said I don't come to your church, 
I visit every now and then, and he said, I don't know any preacher that will say some of the things you said. Thank you. You set me free. Are you hearing me, somebody? And that is what, that is what the gospel is all about, is to set people free. The truth makes free. Say, I hear you. Come with me. Let, let's begin our journey. Let me show you some interesting things here. So remember, the tree of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil was not apple fruit or any fruit. It was knowledge. It's an idea. An idea. A doctrine. A philosophy. A thought. And so you got to guide your mind with all diligence and not allow just any thought into your mind. Because Satan can set your mind. He can control your thought pattern. We call it mind-controlling spirits. I was praying for a young man and he said, I can't concentrate. I can't concentrate. I can't. My mind is all over the place. I can't focus. I can't study. I can't learn. Something is wrong. I can't sleep. And the doctor said, it's insomnia. And I said, it's not insomnia. And as I was praying, the Holy Ghost said to me, break the power of mind controlling spirit. There are spirits controlling the mind and it's demonic bombardment on his thought pattern and controlling his subconsciousness to determine his direction. And I said in the name of Jesus, you mind controlling spirit, lose your hold, release him and I command him acquitted, unconditionally discharged and released. Suddenly, he said like a weight and something was lifted off me. I got my mind back in the name of Jesus. Whatever controls your mind, whatever is driving you, have dominion over it today in the name of Jesus. Look at Romans. Look at Romans. Let's begin this thing fast. Romans 7, 18 to 21. Mm -hmm. For I know that in me that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. Mm -hmm. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. For the good that I would, I do not. Mm -hmm. But the evil which I would not, that I do. Mm -hmm. Now if I do that, I would not. It is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. Mm -hmm. I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. I find another law, two kinds of law. The law of your humanity and the law of your divinity and all of them are struggling for power. They are all struggling for control. Hmm? It's a struggle for power and control. Your divinity wants power, your humanity wants power and all of them are set against each other and it's a law. And sometimes you win and sometimes you lose. It's a daily battle and it's a daily fight. Let's move on because of time. Come with me to Hebrews 12 and 1. I want to show you something. Hebrews 12 and 1. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. This so great a cloud of witnesses are believers that have gone ahead of us. If you have any loved one you know that have gone ahead of you, those are part of the cloud of witnesses. They are sitting in the circles and arenas and stadiums of heaven and they are watching our spiritual race. Now, they don't know what we do in the natural, but they know our spiritual, they know everything about our spiritual work, but not what we do in the natural. Papa Hagen went to heaven and he was taken around and then they took him to see David's place and he met David and they were taking him through the records of everybody's life and all he read about was the triumphs of David, the triumphs of David and he didn't see Belsheba and some of the mistakes of David. So Papa Hagin said, but everything I'm reading here is about his triumph and triumph. Well, it was the issue of Belsheba and some of the things he did. And the angel said, we don't keep records of the mistakes when you were in your human body on earth. 
We don't keep records of your humanity in heaven. We deal with matters of divinity here. Are you hearing me, somebody? Is that, is that a good place to clap your hands? Amen. And, and I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why. Because you see, if you don't understand this work, and if you don't understand this work, for the rest of your life till you go to heaven, Satan will plague you with condemnation about everything in life and make you believe that you are losing your salvation. But it, the, a child of God, it's difficult for you to lose your salvation. I'm telling you. This salvation we're talking about is no joke. It costs God the blood and the life of his son. And it's not that simple and easy for a believer to lose their salvation. Let me show you something. Let, let, let me show you something. Now, go ahead. Go ahead. Let us lay aside every weight and the uh -huh. sin which does so easily beset us. Mm -hmm. And let us run with patience the race that is set before us. You see, it's the race. The race. He didn't say the weight and sin would disqualify you from the race. He said it will what? Set you back. He can't get you out of the race. But his trick and the purpose of attacking us in the race is to slow us down, set us back, and use every possible means to discourage you and I to step out of the race ourselves. Did you hear what I said? Sin cannot disqualify you in the race. Weight cannot disqualify you in the race. But what it does is, it can slow you down, set you back to the point where if you don't understand the workings of salvation, that is a process that God is working with us. And salvation is in threefold. We were saved. We are being saved. We shall be saved. What was saved? My spirit. What is being saved? My soul. What shall be saved? My body. If you don't understand these things, he can put you under condemnation and guilt to the point that you yourself, through discouragement, you will step out of the race. What he's targeting at the end of all of this is your faith in Jesus Christ. He wants you to renounce your faith in Christ because as soon as you renounce your faith in Christ, you are finished. Because the problem with unbelievers, the problem with unbelievers is not the sin they committed. The problem with unbelievers is their lack of faith in the Savior. That's the problem with unbelievers. The problem between us and those who don't believe is that those who don't believe are already condemned. Okay? Those who believe have faith in Christ to save them. So an unbeliever sins and he cannot be forgiven. He cannot be forgiven because he's already condemned. The believer sins, he has provision of grace and forgiveness because he believes in Christ so that provision is made available for him. I'll show it to you as we go ahead. You have to understand these things because if you don't understand it, the, the battle continues. Now watch two things he uses. If he can't get you through sin, he will get you through a weight. Two things he uses, sin and weight. And next we will go into what weight is. Hmm? Can't get you through, what is sin? Distraction. To distract you, slow you down, set you back. Undermine your tenacity and your drive and your speed. But that doesn't disqualify you from the race. It's a struggle and it's ongoing and you can win it. You can win it. I said you can win it. I said you can win this race. And it's not about winning. I am not running in, com I'm, I'm not in competition with anybody. I'm not looking at winning and overtaking anybody. I just want to get to the end of the race. That's all. I don't know about you. Some people are competing with others. I'm not competing with anybody. I don't want to be a better preacher than anybody. I'm just myself. 
I'm telling you. You know, Joel was, Joel was in America recently and he was preaching for one of my friends and he called me and he told me what he was going to preach on. And I said, why are you going to preach that? He said, because you know, Papa, these Americans, they, 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 they can't take deep things like we do. And I said, son, preach what we preach. Don't preach what they preach. I said, if you go their way, you flop because they are good at it. And I said, so go deep. Come with some spirituality. Hit them with what you have. Don't go their way. That was what David did. He said to King Saul, I won't go with your armor and your sword. I will go with what I'm used to. So I said, don't go there and try to preach like them. You know what I mean? Ha. If you hold on a little bit longer. Oh, Jesus. Hallelujah. Oh, somebody say yes. I said, son, don't go that way. Go there and hit it hard. And they may not like what you preach, but preach what you believe. And be yourself. Don't preach what they preach. Somebody say, I hear you. And he called me back and said, Daddy, it works. And I said, yeah, Dad. I said, be yourself. Don't try. So I don't want to be anybody. I don't want to preach like anybody preaches. I have preached in the best churches of the world. The biggest Methodist church in the world is in Houston, Texas. 30,000, Kevin John. And I preached for him several times. In October, I'm preaching again for him. And when I go there, I don't preach anything they preach. I preach what I'm used to. And one day I was preaching and Kirby Jones stood up and the wife screamed and said, God, it's not fair. It's not fair. You can't give all this to Africa. How about Asia in America? And I said, yes, sir. And Bishop Kirby Jones stood up and lifted up his hand and he said, Archbishop, lay hands on me, lay hands on me. Pray for me, pray for me. I want some of what you have. Are you hearing me, somebody? I am not in competition with anybody. I am working on my own salvation with fear and trembling. I just want to finish the race. And I want to keep the faith at the end of it. I don't care who went first and second and third. It's none of my business. I just want to finish and keep this faith. And whether I limp to the end, I still want to end the race. Are you hearing me, somebody? And whether I walk or whether I run, I just want to get to the end of the race. Somebody lift up your hands, shout yes. I might limp, but I want to get to the end. I'm struggling with something, but I'm still pressing on. That is what Paul said. He's not, he said, not that I have yet attained or perfected, but I follow after. If that I may apprehend that for which I was apprehended of him that apprehended me. My God. That is true spirituality. That is humility. That is identifying your humanity and crying out and saying, God, I recognize that in me is no strength. In me is nothing. I need grace. Somebody shout and say grace. Somebody say grace. It is only by grace that we will make it to the end. I am not joking with God and I'm not playing with God. And I'm not a hypocrite. I'm struggling with stuff. I'm going through stuff, but I'm leaning on the everlasting arm. I'm pressing on the other way. You have said in every day. 
Hallelujah. Let's move on because of time. We don't have time. Let's move on. I want to show you some few things. Huh. The sin and the weight that so easily sets you back. If you don't get you by a sin which is missing the mark and a distraction, he will get you by a weight. He will get you. And all is to slow you down. And at the end of the day, get you to give up on your faith. But come with me, let me show you something. 1 Corinthians 10, 12. 1 Corinthians 10, 12. Wherefore, let him that thinketh they stand and take heed, lest they fall. Nobody should think they stand. When I see people feeling so strong because you haven't done something you think somebody is doing, I laugh. You have no idea. There is something plaguing you, my brother, my sister. So he said, let him that thinketh, he stands, he's okay. Watch it. Watch it. Lest he falls. And that's why Paul said, I follow after. I haven't yet arrived. I'm not yet perfected. And you know why we can never be perfected till we check out? It's because the standard is Jesus. And we'll never be able to live up to that standard. It's a very high standard. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. It's a daily struggle. The battle is ongoing. Tell somebody it's ongoing. Somebody's sin is anger. Some of you, when you are angry, you even slap the Holy Ghost. Mm -hmm. Insensitivity. There are all kinds of things that causes us. Let me show you some few things quickly before we go. Look at Romans 8, 1 to 2. Romans 8, 1 to 2. I'll show you some few things quickly. Mm -hmm. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. I'm going to say something here, and I have to be very bold about it. Because a lot of preachers won't say it. And the reason is because people are afraid that if they say it, it will give people lessons to fool around. But that is where our freedom is. And I need to say it. Because I've been preaching for 40 years, and I need to give you this key. You need it to be free. If you don't get this, you'll never be free from the power of sin, guilt, and condemnation. This is where our freedom is. Look at it again. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ How Jesus. How many of you are in Christ Jesus? How many of you are born again? You are in Christ Jesus? Then it doesn't matter what you do wrong or right, you are not under condemnation. Sin does not condemn you. Mistakes does not condemn you because you are in Christ Jesus. It's the world that is under condemnation. The believer is not under condemnation. Now the Bible says in 1 John, My little children, I write unto you that you sin not. That you sin not. But if you sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ. Who makes intercession and atonement for us? Are you hearing me, somebody? So, the believer is not under condemnation because you sin. You are under condemnation because you refuse to confess Christ. When you sin, you can receive forgiveness. You can appropriate grace and receive the blood and cleansing because that is a provision for every believer. You, don't, you, you, you can sit down there and look at me any way you want to look at me. But there is no condemnation to believers when they sin. But there is provision of grace to help you overcome the sin. I'm saying it again. 
the believer is not under condemnation when he sins. It is the unbeliever that is under condemnation because he's already condemned. But the believer when he sins and confesses receives grace because grace is made available. That's why Paul said, should we continue in sin for grace to abound? What does that mean? Because grace is the provision that is being made available for the believer to succeed and to finish the race. The Bible said, for he is faithful and able to deliver those to the end who came to him through Christ Jesus. He's able to save us to the end. So provision of grace is available. Then the Bible says, where grace does abound, where sin does abound, grace does much more abound. So what is the solution? Grace. Grace. Not condemnation. Not self-righteousness. The answer is grace. It's not even obedience because it is grace that makes obedience. Without grace, you can't obey. It's the same problem Peter had. Peter, before the Holy Ghost came, Peter was born again. And Peter, one minute, he was hearing from heaven. Another minute, Satan was using him. His divinity and humanity was working at the same time. Then on the day of Pentecost, he got baptized in the Spirit. With boldness, he preached. 4,000 people got born again. After that, he went back to Judaism. Born again. Went back to Judaism. He and Paul were always fighting. And that was Paul's problem with the church. The church was judging Paul based on their experience of Judaism and not on their experience of the new birth. They were dealing with Paul by law and not by grace. And then when Jesus showed him before Cornelius, when he had a dream, and he saw these different types of animals, he said, huh, my experience from Judaism, don't accept it. And the Holy Ghost rebuked him and said, it is sanctified. Have your mind renewed. You can't go that way. The past, the old, and the new are always in conflict. People want to believe that I'm serving God based on what I do right. I've obeyed God. I've fulfilled all the commandments. I've done everything that is required of me. And so I stand right before God because I've obeyed all the law. You are joking. There is nothing you and I do that is acceptable before God without grace. Anything we do without grace is not acceptable to God. If we obey the law, it's because of grace. If we did the right thing, we have to give credit to grace. Where God does not work through grace in our life, in our obedience, it's not acceptable. Then we don't need to be born again. Then there's no need of grace. Let me show you two scriptures. Come with me. I'm not worried about your silence. I know who you are, religious people. Come with me to John chapter 1 verse 17. John 1 17. For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. What came by truth? Grace and what? <clears throat> Hear me. Watch this. Satan speaks truth without grace. And nobody can obey truth without grace. That's why nobody could fulfill the law. Nobody. Because it takes grace to fulfill the law. Without grace, nobody. That's why Jesus has to come and die. And he said, grace and truth. Whenever we speak grace, we speak truth without grace, we are killing people. Nobody can accept the truth without grace. So he said, grace brought truth. Or truth came with grace. 
through Jesus Christ. Because without grace, nobody can obey the truth. So those of you struggling in your flesh to obey the truth, you will never obey it. Let grace have its way. Satan speaks truth, but he speaks truth to condemn you. Jesus speaks truth by grace to bring you in through grace and not to condemn you. Grace redeems. Grace speaks truth and truth that comes with grace redeems. Truth without grace will put you under condemnation. I'm telling let me show you another scripture. Romans 10, 4. Romans 10, 4. Then I have one or two scriptures and I have to go. Romans chapter 10, verse 4, quickly. For Christ is the end of the law of for righteousness to everyone that believeth. Christ is what? The end. Christ is what? The end. Christ is what? The end. How many of you are in Christ? How many of you are in Christ? And he said Christ is what? The end of the law for, for. righteousness. To everyone, everyone that believes. To everyone that believes. To everyone that believes. How many of you believe? How many of you believe in Christ? That is, you know what the devil is interested in? Is your believing Christ he wants? Is your faith? He wants to tell you that your faith in Christ is negated because you are not living up to expectation. He wants you to renounce your faith in Christ through the daily struggle and battle between your divinity and your humanity. That's where it is. Let me show you another scripture. Come with me. Hmm. Galatians 2.20. Galatians 2.20. I want to show you some two things. Galatians 2.20. I am crucified. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. Mm -hmm. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I live by the faith of the Son of God. That means I don't exist. I'm dead. Tell, to, tell somebody you are not alive. You are not alive. You are dead. You can't accept that. But that is what it is. Dying daily. And there are some days I don't want to die. I want to be free. Hmm? You hear what I said? I want to be all free. I'm free. I'm a free man. Hallelujah. I live by the faith of the Son of God. Hallelujah. Who loved me and gave himself for me. That's where it is. I don't exist. It's the faith of the Son of God. So you die daily. Tell somebody, dying daily gives your, 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 your divinity the upper hand. Dying daily. And it's difficult to die. L l let me conclude. We'll continue. I want to show you something. Come with me to 2 Timothy 4 7. 2 Timothy 4 7. 2 Timothy 4 7. Look at I have fought the good fight. It's a fight. Tell somebody it's a daily fight. It's a daily fight. This was Paul. This is Paul speaking. Somebody say, Paul. Come on, talk to me. Say, Paul. That's one of my heroes. He wrote the Pauline Revelation, half of the New Testament. And he, at the end, said, I have what? Fought for a good fight. It's a good fight. It's a fight worth fighting. Every day, you fight. Uh-huh. I have finished my course. Finish my course. You I will have finish your course. Kept 
the faith. He didn't say, I, I was disqualified. He said, I struggled with some things. Uh, uh, it was a battle between my humanity and my divinity, my soul, my flesh, my spirit. It was a daily fight, but I fought that fight and I stayed in the race. I had a thorn in my flesh. Whatever it was, is for another day. We won't touch it today. But with the thorn, I still press on. I wasn't perfect, but I pressed on. I hadn't yet attained, but I pressed on. And I have fought the good fight. I have finished my course. And what the devil wanted to take from me, I didn't give it to him. And what is that? My faith. Look at it. He said, I have what? I have kept the I've faith. I have, kept, I have what? Kept the faith. I have what? Tell somebody, keep the faith. Keep the faith. Keep your faith in Christ. Keep your faith in God. That is what the devil wants. Your faith in Jesus Christ as a believer that he's a healer, he's a savior, he's a deliverer. He wants that faith. Don't give him your faith. No matter what you are struggling with, keep your faith in God. No matter what goes on with your flesh, keep your faith in God. No matter what you deal with, keep your faith in God. No matter what the sin and the temptation, the weight and the trial is, keep the faith. Keep the faith. Somebody stand and shout, I'm keeping the faith. I'm holding on. I'm holding on. I'm holding on to the faith. We know you are blessed by that word of God and look forward to you joining the messages of the Archbishop Nicholas Duncan Williams again. For more information on our events, books, and messages, please visit NDW Ministries online at www.ndwministries.org or call our offices on plus one eight seven seven three six one five one one one. Once again, thank you for joining the Archbishop today and may you continue to experience the life-transforming power of God's blessings.